Last week, I uh, came up here and asked you to go to this website because we needed 100 volunteers. We needed 100 buddies, to be specific. And um, we've got them. We've got them all. God provides. And I want to... And I want to thank you for being a part of God's work to bring that solution. In fact, we've got, we're already looking at 200 guests, which is more than we had last year, and something like 500 volunteers total. So it's going to be a good event. But that's, this, that's, why, I'm, that's why I'm dressed up. I'm not dressed up for the Super Bowl. I'm dressed up getting ready for night to shine, okay? That's, that's what this is all about. And... Uh, I am, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to dress up, we're going to look special, and we're going to understand what it is that really makes people special is because they're created in God's image. It's going to be a good event. If you haven't signed up yet and you still want to, go right ahead. Uh, there is something for everybody to do. In fact, we can always use more and more people to be at the red carpet to cheer people on. And uh, so it, it's all good. I have been asked to tell you, that if you ordered a Night to Shine t-shirt, that is on the table out there in the foyer, and you need to pick those up today. Because I would ask you to do one more thing, everybody, even if you can't make it to the event, um, please be in prayer over this event. That what we want most of all is we want God to be glorified as the, the, the community around us understands that God's view of life and God's view of creation is the one that brings all the blessings that we need. And I've had the joy of going and talking to people uh, publicly in the community, and it's been great because I'm not talking about me, I'm not even talking about us, I'm talking about God and what He does. And uh, it's such a pleasure to do that this year. So please be in prayer that God uses this as He wills. Would you pray with me now, and we're going to Ask for the Lord's blessings on all the work that's done. Father, we see how you are at work dynamically among us. We see how you are doing things among us to bring glory to your name. And it is our prayer that every day spent in work, every moment spent getting ready, will not be a time of anxiety for us, but it will be a time where we see what you can do through our efforts. And what you can do despite our efforts. And Father, we pray that every royal guest who comes to that event will understand how much you love them and that we can demonstrate and pronounce that love. We pray that we will all understand how much you've loved us and how wonderful it is to be a servant in your kingdom. And Father, we pray that you would uh, give us more reasons to believe that with your spirit at work among us, we needn't worry, and we don't have to get tired. We just have to trust. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been the theme of the last few weeks from Luke's gospel that that God is, Christ is at work among us. And one of the things that you'll see in Luke is you will see Jesus Christ at work in this world bringing glory to God And it it impresses people. They are amazed at how much uh, Christ can do. The working of miracles and the, uh, the healing of the sick and the casting out of demons and the preaching of the good news. 
It brings healing and health and happiness and joy to the world. And it's all because Jesus, as as Luke says, preaches with authority. He says these things as one who knows the Heavenly Father and one who comes from heaven. But what does all this mean for us now in the 21st century? What does this all mean for us right here and now? Next chapter we're going to look at. Now, I, I... Today what I want us to do is I want us to kind of uh, take four scenes and we're going to look at these. But they all have to do with encounters between Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes. Now, you know, when it comes to the Pharisees and scribes, instantly we want to imagine that these are guys with... uh, You remember... Is there anybody but me here who remembers... uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. You remember, you remember that? And you remember Dudley Do-Right, you know? And Dudley Do-Right had a villain named uh, Snidely Whiplash. And he had on the black top hat, and he had the handlebar mustache, and he was even kind of green and evil. I think sometimes we have a Snidely Whiplash version of the Pharisees that uh, they're running around with their big robes on. <laughs> How do we get Jesus today? You know, and they uh, and they you know and they're and they're twiddling their fingers and and they have these handlebar mustaches. That's not it at all. And in fact, when we understand what's really going on there, it gets even more alarming. Pharisees are the sort of people that we would be proud to know as friends, believe it or not. Because they were successful, and, and not only were they successful, but they were, they were basically good people. They were, they were pious. Pious means that they cared about religion. They cared about doing what was right. In fact, what they wanted, unlike the, the Sadducees who had some um, uh, very strict religious beliefs but didn't really believe in them, Pharisees took it seriously. They took it very seriously, and they thought that God's law and God's word truly matters and that we ought to shape our lives around it. It ought to make us into a very different kind of people. And they spent a lot of time thinking about that, talking about that. In fact, if the Sadducees were the priests who were up in the temple on high, the Pharisees were the the ones who rolled up their sleeves, they were in the synagogues, and they were teaching, teaching, teaching because they wanted God's people to know what was right and they wanted to know what it looked like to please God. In fact, the mission of the Pharisees sounds a lot like Jesus' mission, that Jesus wants people to understand what it means to be a disciple, to follow God, to understand what it means to have the kingdom right here and now, and the way we ought to live and treat one another, what it means to love God, what it means to love one another. But there's some differences Some subtle differences that make all the difference in these stories. So let's take a look at the first one. We're going to be in chapter 5. And I'm just going to uh, read these and scan them and make a few points. But after all four stories, I think we'll be able to make some, some quick conclusions about all of this. Luke, by the way, isn't so interested in a chronology here. He's sort of given us quick snapshots of four different times that Jesus and the Pharisees who seemingly had the same mission, saw things differently. Verse 17, Luke says, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. 
Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. And when they couldn't find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, they lowered him on his mat, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who is able, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed, and everyone gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe, and they said, We have seen remarkable things today. Jesus sees this group of men, this group of friends who are so concerned. They've heard the stories. They've heard that there's a power in Jesus, the power at work among them, that it can heal those who are disabled in some way, those who are sick. In fact, Jesus read in the synagogue that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to pronounce uh, that, that those who are, are, are crippled can walk. Those who are without the ability to walk can walk. That was part of that Isaiah text. Well, they take it literally and they say, let's do this. They've heard these stories. So Jesus recognizes faith. They trust. But for the Pharisees, what they notice is blasphemy. Now, the same thing is playing out in front of Jesus and the Pharisees. But isn't it interesting that the Pharisees can perceive only blasphemy? And they ask the question, who can forgive sins but God alone? That word that's translated can is our same word that we get the word dynamic from. Same word. They're saying, who has power to forgive sins but God alone? Now, it may be that the Pharisees are having their own version of the conversation. You know, I get it that he can forgive sins, but I really wished he hadn't said it like that. It would have been better if he had just said, hey, why don't you get up and walk here, pal? But forgiving sins, boy, that's a bit much. Isn't that just God and God alone that can do that? And it's interesting that Jesus, when he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, but then he goes ahead and gives them the thing that they would prefer to hear, get it, take up your mat and walk. And Jesus is saying either way, it's authority over sin and death. Death is the power that corrupts and causes paralysis, causes illness. And Jesus is saying that I've been given this authority by God over sin and death. Sin and death do not have authority over me. They do not have ultimate say-so and authority over this world. But the Pharisees choose to question whether anyone can have authority at all and they question whether or not there is any ability it just 
doesn't sit right with them. And so they're thinking, you know, if God alone, if he's the only one able to forgive sins, then Jesus, maybe we'd better be safe than sorry. That's case one. Let's take a look at case two. In case two, after this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and he left everything and he followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A few observations on this one. First of all, you hear about this tax collector at, at, a, at his booth. And right now, this time of year, you might be thinking of those people who are set up in Walmart for H&R Block or whatever it is. And it's like, there they are, the tax collectors. Um, and it doesn't seem very threatening unless you're trying to get your, you know, your shopping cart around their little tax booth. That's not what a tax collector is in their world. Tax collector is not even a very good uh, translation. A better translation might be um, crook. <laughs> that what, what they've done is they have been given a license by the Roman government to collect the Roman government taxes in a certain region. Now that license gives them broad authority. So if they have to charge a little fee on top of their Roman fee, that's all in a day's work. It's not personal, mind you. It's just business. And so they take advantage of it. It's sort of like what you hear about with the uh, protection scams where people say, you know, I'd hate for someone to bust up your shop and you'd be out of business, but if you pay a little bit, we'll make sure that no one comes and busts up your shop. These are the tax collectors. And what they've done is they have set themselves up against their own people and they've violated the, the principles of their own holy nation of Israel to do what they're doing. In that regard, they are unrepentant sinners. Because we sometimes have the philosophy that a sinner is just a sinner and we're all sinners and that's too bad, we're all sinners. We take it very lightly. You know, well, you know, so-and-so has admitted that they're a sinner. Aren't we all sinners? Oh, yes. So if that's the case, then let's all leave everybody alone. Um, sinners in this verse, they are talking about people who are clearly in defiance of what God wants. This isn't just the average I sin and we all have flaws. This is a, a term to describe those who have actually been cast out of the synagogue because they will not repent or because they associate with those who make them unclean. And the Pharisees have a problem with Jesus and his disciples associating with those who are being shunned by those who they are trying to teach them a lesson. They're not 
shunning them because they hate them. They're doing it because a line has to be drawn somewhere and we have to explain to people that these things can't continue and they've got to change their ways. And Jesus is saying, what sense does it make to have a doctor who's not around sick people? One of my physician friends was asked recently, you know, are you afraid you're going to catch the flu? Well, what, what, what are you going to do with that? I mean, who's going to, uh, how can you be a physician treating the flu if you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to that hospital. There's a bunch of sick people there. You know, you're going to catch something. Jesus is saying it's common sense, isn't it, that somehow we have to go to them for healing. But from the Pharisees' perspective, they should heal themselves and then they can come back to the synagogue. And you know, they're not doing it because they're hateful and mean. It's not because they're snidely whiplash villains. It's because they don't want to have the perception of condoning these tax collectors who are really oppressors of God's people. We can't be seen with them. And yet that's sometimes the way our culture responds to things. And, and, And we're all participants in this that when we hear of some celebrity or someone who's done something wrong or maybe even locally in our own world we say up oh, okay we got to cut off all ties we can't have anything to do with them i don't want to be seen to condone what they've done so it's best to just sort of clear all channels and cut off all ties jesus and his disciples never present themselves as condoning what levi is doing In fact, he's saying, why don't you come and follow me and leave your lucrative criminal business and come follow me? And he does. He finds something better. And with all of his wealth and with all of his wealthy connected friends, he puts on a banquet. Things are different. That's case two. Let's take a look at case three. In case 3, Jesus is going to be questioned by the Pharisees. It starts in verse 33. They, meaning the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the scribes uh, said to Jesus, John's disciples, they often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on, eating and drinking. Jesus said, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. And so he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they'll have torn the new garment, that's a waste, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. Now, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Jesus understood that the appropriate behavior mattered more than ritual behavior that had no heart. Jesus says that feasting's appropriate, fasting's appropriate, you have to understand the situation. And he doesn't make it out to be some deep, crazy mystery. 
He asked the question to them. If the friends of the bridegroom are hanging out with the bridegroom, can you make them fast? And there's that word again. Power. Dunamis. Dynamic. And isn't it interesting that the Pharisees reject the idea that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, but they will easily put on themselves the ability to impose a fast on others. It's like they're playing by a different set of rules and they don't even realize it. They blow the whistle, they throw the yellow flag. Ah, Jesus, you forgave sins, we don't do that. Penalty, you go and fast. Get right with God. They're willing to take on power that they, that they don't have. Jesus says you can't do that because it's inappropriate. This is the time for feasting, but the time will come when they will fast. Jesus is not creating a new law or a new set of rules on fasting. Because there's, there's nothing better than that. It's just a difference of opinion. The Pharisees said we're going to fast on Mondays and Thursdays, I think it was. And uh, if Jesus had said, no, no, you only have to fast on Fridays, what have you got? You've got two different opinions that are just at war with each other, and we can you know, decide and stack up arguments. Jesus says you're not even asking the right question. You're not even looking at fasting the right way. You're going through these fasts when it's inappropriate. The Pharisees practice fasting as a practice of law, and doing those things made them right with God. And they believed that they could make the friends fast. Jesus says it's about the appropriateness. That comes up also in case four. Let's take a look at that. That starts in chapter six. It's a Sabbath. On the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to do any work. Okay? Keep that in mind. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. His disciples began to pick some heads of grain. They'd rub them in their hands and they would eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only what is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Jesus then said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up. He stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good? Or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And he looked around at them all and then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was completely healed. 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. These are really two cases, but these cases of activity on the Sabbath, Jesus interprets and lives out God's will. You see, Jesus and the Pharisees both have the same agenda. They want to know what God's will is. And they want to live out that will. Jesus interprets it rightly. Because he can look at something like the Sabbath and he can understand how the Sabbath is a good thing for us, but we weren't meant to be slaves. The Sabbath was all about not being slaves. And yet the Pharisees had enslaved themselves and their people to a rigid view of the Sabbath. The Pharisees found their identity in their ritual law, what they could do to get it right, rather than finding their identity in the Lord who gives them the Sabbath as a gift. And it caused them to ignore human need. It caused them to ignore divine power. You know, it's bad enough that it was allowed in, by most teachers of the law that on the Sabbath, you could, you know, if you're right there and you've got those grains of, uh, of, of corn or wheat and you can sit there and eat them, that's fine. You're not harvesting. You're just, you're just feeding yourself. You're just taking care of yourself. That, that, that wasn't a violation of the Sabbath. But the Pharisees can't even recognize a human need like hunger, and instead they say, you're, you're breaking the rules. They've... I think this case is saved for the last because you really see the worst of what this kind of thinking does. And then when Jesus puts the man with the withered hand out there in front of them and he says, now I'm going to ask you a question. What's lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to destroy life? Which is the proper, which is the appropriate thing to do? Obviously, it's... it's it's better to give healing. You know, you can just almost hear the Pharisees saying, Jesus, listen, we're not saying that you shouldn't heal him on the Sabbath, but maybe we need to do this a different way. Let's just wait until the next day, and then you can heal him, and then we haven't violated the Sabbath. Or I'll tell you what, if this is going to offend people, let's have one of us do a closing prayer, and then we'll really be finished with the Holy Sabbath, and we can move on to the next thing. But let's just do this the right way, Jesus. And Jesus says... You're missing not only the point of the healing and the goodness of life, you're also missing the point of the Sabbath. And isn't it interesting that after this, they have seen a miracle of God, a man whose right hand, and that may not sound like much. Some of you remember Jesse, who worked for us for a while. Jesse ended up getting an infection. He lost the use of his hand. And it, it caused him not to be able to make a living. Now imagine in this ancient world what it's like. Jesus, by restoring this man's right hand, gives him the ability to do things that would have kept him out of normal life. And they see this miracle where this man's hand is restored by the power of God, and they don't even stop and say, Wow, look at what we just saw. They say, I wish he hadn't done it on the Sabbath. Do you see how this subtle and how dangerous this kind of thinking, this trust in our own ability to get it right can become? 
We may think that we're after the same goals of Jesus, but we're not. Because instead of focusing on the will of God and finding our identity in what God can do among us, we restrict God, we limit God, and we believe that as long as we do it the way we think is best, that must be God's way. Let me, let me, make it, let me illustrate it a little bit better, and, and, and I hope you can make this um, connection. One of my favorite things to do, you know, when you're, you're surfing the web or whatever, is to look at pictures of what's called workplace safety fail. Are you familiar with these pictures? I love these. And, uh, you know, you can follow these. These are some of my favorites. Um, I don't know if you notice it, but uh, this fellow around flammable gas is uh, enjoying a smoke break while he's uh, working on flammable gas. Um, here we have an electrical fire. Yes, let's take the water and, uh, you know, throw it on the, on the electrical fire. Why not take those two-by-fours and work on the car underneath those, uh, oh, I'm sorry, those are probably four-by-fours. That makes it better. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, who says you can't load the truck like that? You can load the truck like that. He's doing it right there. And if you, you, know, if you don't have one of those fancy adapters, then use your nail clippers to uh, make the electrical connection. I love these because I've done some of these, okay? That's why I love them. Uh, I haven't been smoking around the, the flammable gases, no. But, uh, but some of the others I've done. And, and yet, th- these guys are taking this to a new level that I'm sort of in admiration of it. Um, now, here's the thing. All of their violations... They don't match up to what we would call electrical code, okay? They don't, they, don't, they don't follow the book. But you know what? They work. And, and I'm not saying that you should do any of this. In fact, I think you shouldn't. Because you are going to take a big risk and you could get really hurt and, uh, and not even realize it. But the people who do some of these things, I can't say it about all of them, but most of them, it's not out of ignorance. Sometimes it's out of necessity. Uh, first mission trip I went with our, 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 our West Ark youth group here was in 2009 in, uh, in Mexico. And, you know, we, we kept doing the, the work there on the, on the building that they were building, and we kept blowing out the fuse box. One day it was just on fire, you know, and some of the guys down there, you know, they were just like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, la caja en fuego. You know, and just, it's, it's, it's burning, you know, so what? So I said, well, wh- what do you do? How do you get new fuses? And they pulled out the fuse, and they looked in there, and they said, see, it's got a bunch of nails in it. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's dangerous. Yeah, but it works. And they were right. It works. Not necessarily best. Not even safe. But it works. And sometimes you do that. Not to be reckless, but because it's a necessity. You have to do it because it might be appropriate. Let, let, me, let me bring it. I'm going to make an, another analogy here and confess something. Um, I'm guilty of the crime of forgery, okay? I, this is the first time I'm admitting that to anyone. And I did this at a very young age, okay? Um, you see, my father was... Uh, he had an active duty period every summer for the military where he would have to go uh, to, 
to his, um, uh, anyway, he'd have to go and do, do military stuff for a couple of weeks out of summer. I'm forgetting words here, probably because I've just confessed to committing the crime of forgery. And, and he would go and do that. And he had some checks that he was supposed to deposit for our family while he was gone. And we really needed that money in the bank. But here's the problem. It didn't have my mother's name on it. It had his name on it. So they're on the phone talking with each other. And he says, look, Chris is a really good artist. Get him to write my signature on the check. And my mom and my dad on the phone are saying, look, what we're about to ask you to do is highly illegal. It's called forgery, okay? But you're our proxy. You're my proxy. The thing is, in a strict sense, what I've done is wrong. In fact, I don't even know what the statute of limitations are, and so uh, I may be calling some of my attorneys here in, in, uh, in a bit. So maybe we shouldn't have done it. Yeah, but here's the thing. My father said, you're my son. I'm giving you permission to sign my name. Does that make sense? You see where I'm going with this? Because I don't want you to get hung up on me and forgery and being 12. And uh, Sometimes, I think what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, look, if you can hear my voice, and it's the voice of the Father, do you understand that I am willing to work among you? And you may be shocked and amazed at some of the things that I'm asking you to do, and it may not seem like the way it's supposed to be done. But if it's what I want done, then I assure you, my power will work among you because you are my children and you wear my name. I'm, I hope all of you understand that this is not some license for us to do whatever we want and just say, well, God told me to. And that's not my concern right now because I think our concern is much to the opposite, that we don't, that like the Pharisees, we won't even stop and listen to what our Father is telling us. That we won't even stop and listen to what our King is saying to us. And instead, what we're asking is, like the, the people of Israel who, when God would say, I want you to go and take that land, I don't know, God, can we? Jesus has put opportunity before us. And if we say, I don't know, Jesus, I don't know that that's the right way to do it. That doesn't seem very appropriate, does it? He's going to give us what we need when he calls us to accomplish his will. There's that story in the first part of Jeremiah, you know, the prophet. Uh, God says, uh, Jeremiah, I'm calling you to go and preach this. And Jeremiah starts disqualifying himself. Oh, God, you can find somebody better than me. And I love the way God responds. My paraphrase is God says, I asked you to do this. Because you, in fact, are the best one to do this, in my opinion. And my opinion outranks your opinion because I'm God and you're not. And sometimes we think that putting ourselves up as God over God means that we're going to say yes to ourselves 
in everything. And that's why you shouldn't presume to think that you're God. But church, I want you to know that it happens just as often that sometimes we exalt ourself or our understanding to the level of God so that we can say, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. Let's not do that. Let's be careful. Let's wait until another day. And we're really just making a God out of that. And that keeps us from seeing the awesome power of Christ among us. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we will be so obedient to you that we will trust that you will guide us to that which is right, that if we follow you as disciples, we will learn that sort of relationship with you so that we, we understand what you are teaching us in your word, through your spirit, that we will encourage one another so that we may know what pleases you. That you haven't left us a dead letter, but you've given us a living word. And that living word is embodied in your Son. And we can even see Him doing the things that you've called us to do. And Father, never let us become so arrogant that we think that we are God and you are not. But never let us become so timid and broken that we say no even when your yes is much louder. And Father, we pray that you would bless us that we might trust in your power to fulfill us and to equip us for every good work you've called us to do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you need God's encouragement this morning? There will be elders down here. There will be elders back there in room 100. If you need some kind of encouragement today, I invite you to talk to them now or after this song. But while we're singing this song, you can... Let them know that. Let's stand up. Let's sing together.